move from one microphone to another. Well, how are we doing this morning? Good. It's kind of a little dreary out there this morning, a little rainy, and I was kind of looking at that picture of, oh, not that one. That, that would be even worse. <laughs> With the picture of Mike and Lori at the beach, and I'm like, that sounds really nice right now. But that is a little different of a picture, and I will explain that here in a little bit. Um, today we'll be concluding our series that Mike has been walking us through. Um, we've talked about biggest fears, we've talked about biggest doubts, biggest regrets, biggest joys even, but today I want to talk about our biggest challenge. Take a second to think about what you would say in your life is the biggest challenge that you've ever faced. Don't overthink it. Just take a second. Most challenging thing that you think that you have faced in your life. I'll give you an example. I don't know that this is necessarily the biggest challenge, but to give your mind working a little bit. During quarantine, which feels like a really long time ago, um, I decided that I wanted to, to better myself physically. And so I started doing 100 push-ups a day, um, every single day. My original intention was that I was going to do this for 30 days. I'm like, admirable goal, 100 push-ups a day, 30 days. Felt like a lot at the time. Um, and it was a challenge. It was tough. Because um, at the time, I could only do maybe 10 or 15 at a time. And so I had to, like, spread it out throughout the entire day. Like, 10 here, 15 here, 10 here. And then by the end of the day, it was like, okay, I finally got the 100. Um, you do that for a certain amount of time, and it started getting easier. I could do sets of, like, 25. And so then I would do four sets of 25 uh, throughout the day. Um, and when I hit 30 days, it was like I had accomplished my goal, felt really good about it. But I had just started seeing, like, results. Like, I was actually feeling stronger. I was being able to do more at a time. And so I was like, well, why stop at 30 days? I'll do 50 days. 50 days came and went. Decided I would do 100 days, 100 days. That's like 10,000, 100 days, 100 push-ups. Good round number because I like good round numbers. And getting to 100 was huge. It was over three months. I just, but I couldn't stop there. Like at that point, it had become like, you know, you've built a habit over the course of however long. This is no longer like work anymore. It's like I have to keep going because I've done this for X amount of days. Like I can't stop now. This last Thursday, I hit six months, um, which is over 18,000. And by then, I was like, okay, I'm done. I am, I am done. By the time I hit like 150 days, I was like, why did I do this? Because I, would get to, I wouldn't do it until like I was ready to go to bed. I was like, oh, right, I haven't done push-ups. And so then you got to crank out 100 push-ups at 10 o'clock at night. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? Um, and my arms and chest thanked me for stopping. Um, but it was a challenge. It was a goal that I had set for myself that I wanted to see through and, and did. Regardless of who you are and where you are, you will meet challenges in your life. Some of these challenges are given to you. Sometimes you have no choice in the matter. Sometimes you set them for yourself. I wanted to challenge myself, so I dedicated myself to doing this, and I'm glad that I did. Um, one of my full-time guys at the coffee shop, and that's where this picture comes in, just came back from a 40-day trip. This has been a couple weeks ago. That it, well, actually, it's been more than that. He's been six, back six weeks now. Um, backpacking through the mountains of Wyoming. 
They were hiking, they were camping, they were scaling heights that sometimes required an ice pick, and they all have a, a line so that if one of them falls, they'll catch them. Um, it was, he's shown me, this is just one that I snapped off of his Facebook, um, of pictures that he's shown me of this 40 days in the mountains of Wyoming um, with a team of, I think, 12 people. Definitely one of the most challenging things that he's ever done, not only physically, uh, but mentally, emotionally. Um, but he chose to do this, and paid lots and lots of money to do so. Um, because one, he loves the outdoors, and two, things going on in his life right now, he just needed to step away um, and spend some time with God and his creation. And the 40 days that it was was like, man, the world's kind of falling apart right now. Being out in the mountains would be really nice. It was a challenge that he was glad to have faced, and he's, be- he's better because of it. Another one of my full-time guys at the coffee shop just came back yesterday from 40 days in Louisiana uh, as an EMT with FEMA uh, for hurricane relief as communities down there have been hit with not only one but two major hurricanes in the same sweep, like it hit the same spot twice. He worked 16-hour days for five weeks straight. This was a challenge he did not necessarily choose. But he knew this kind of call was possible when he signed up to be an EMT. But getting a phone call that says, pack your bags, you leave in 12, you leave in 12 hours for Louisiana for five weeks wasn't exactly on his agenda that day, or mine, <laughs> as his employer. Life is full of challenges. And most of us probably view COVID as the biggest challenge we've ever faced. It has changed so many aspects of our lives, robbed us of so many things. It took what was normal everyday tasks and just made them much, much more difficult. It separated us from each other. At times, it's isolated us. It's made running a small business more challenging than it already is. It makes sending your kids to school more challenging. It makes going to Walmart more challenging. I know all of you have walked through crazy, challenging times, but hear me out. I believe that the biggest challenge in life is maintaining the Christian walk. The Christian walk is challenging, and sometimes it can feel like you're pushing yourself off the floor 18,000 times. I'm going to be in the book of Daniel, if you want to turn, Daniel 1. Daniel's life is a prime example of following God and it feeling very challenging sometimes. Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, learning, understanding, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. 
The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these with Daniel were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So we've set the scene. Daniel and his friends have been taken captive out of their homeland to the land of their enemies. They are to be fed, educated, and become good, upstanding Babylonians by the end of three years. And lastly, in an effort to strip all of semblance of their heritage away from them, they've been given new names, Babylonian names. Jerusalem is no longer a home. You are no longer a Jew. You live in Babylon now. A challenging time indeed. Let's continue. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them the vegetables. A couple points here. Despite finding themselves in challenging times, Daniel and his friends maintain faithful to their beliefs and to their God. How many times do we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be and realize that one of the reasons that things got difficult because our response was not faith. It wasn't steadfastness. It was compromise. It's so easy to start justifying our behavior, our thoughts, and our actions, because things aren't fair. Things aren't easy. And it just feels like the world isn't tilting quite far enough in my direction. This is a very slippery slope. Daniel's response was not compromise. He had all of this food and all of this wine at his disposal. He was in the king's palace, but he refused to compromise. God was pleased, and they were shown favor. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, the three years, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them and among all of them, and none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
These men had lost their homeland, everything they knew, and it seemed that God had abandoned them. But notice when God shows up most visibly. When despite those hard times, despite the challenges that they faced, they remained faithful and people noticed. It says that God gave them learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel didn't gain all of that wisdom and the ability to interpret dreams just because he was a good student and took notes in class. God gave him that wisdom and those abilities because Daniel leaned into God and God had lots of plans for Daniel. Why? Because God loves to use people who prove themselves faithful in the middle of challenging times. God loves to use people who prove themselves faithful in the middle of challenging times. We could spend so much time walking through the book of Daniel, seeing not only how Daniel, but also his friends, stood strong and faithful in every challenge that they faced. You could look at the fiery furnace in chapter 3. You could look at the lion's den in chapter 6. You could look at all of the chapters in between where Daniel has these crazy visions that he has to explain to authorities that they don't like very much because most of the time it has to do with your life is going to be over here soon. Now, I do feel like I need to step back and make a very important distinction here before we continue. There's a big difference, from what I can see, between a challenge and a trial. There's a big difference between a challenge and a trial, and I want to kind of talk about those two things. Because I think very frequently in the church, and just in conversations among Christians, we use the word trial a lot. Or a season. Anything that is difficult or stressful at the time, an illness, wayward child, something out of your control that is difficult. We call them trials. And they do come, don't get me wrong. James told us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. There's not, one, there's not a one of us that hasn't faced a difficult trial, and lots of them probably. But that's not what I want to talk about. And it may feel like I'm splitting hairs between two very similar words, but I feel like seeing a difference between them makes a very important mindset shift. Because when you hear the word trial, does it carry with it a very positive connotation? Like if someone's on trial, is that a very positive thing? It's mostly a negative thing. The word trial is a very negative thing, a place you don't want to be. Trials are times in your life that oftentimes are very unfair and leave you very hurt or discouraged. It's kind of like a desert. The path is difficult, it's very long, and you have no idea where you're going or why. Challenges aren't like that. For the most part, we like a good challenge, right? Our competitive side comes out, we want to win, conquer something, see victory. It's more like a mountain. It's still very difficult, the path is still very hard, but the purpose or the goal is very obvious, to summit the mountain. 
to make it to the top. It's easier to see the purpose of a challenge. Trials are made all the more unpleasant because it's difficult to understand the why. Why did this person have to lose a child to miscarriage? Why did this close family member have to die? There are not good or easy answers to why questions in trials. But you can answer the why questions with challenges. Jesus told us to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? I could give you a whole host of reasons why you should love your neighbor as yourself. For one, Jesus told you to. And for two, love is the greatest and most powerful gift that you can give another human being. And it was given freely to you. That's why. This is why I'm trying to make this distinction between a challenge and a trial. Because I think that the problem is that some of us have pegged the Christian walk as a trial instead of a challenge. It's difficult, you say. You're right. That doesn't make it a trial. If it was easy, you wouldn't need Jesus. Our biggest challenge then is maintaining the Christian walk. But here's the deal. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the gift of the Holy Spirit has made that walk possible. And not only possible, but a joy. The greatest greatest challenge you will ever take on is the Christian life. But you also have the greatest coaches in the world, in the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and a pretty spectacular team to run that race with you. Daniel's gaining wisdom and knowledge and ability wasn't easy. It took effort. God-given wisdom and ability, yes, but a challenge all the same. So what must we have to complete a challenge? Oftentimes it's discipline, perseverance. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I find myself should be disqualified. Make no mistake, the battle has been won, but there is still a race to be run. Death has been defeated, Jesus is on the throne, but you have been given a task, a challenge. Run this race with Jesus at your side. It's a race that requires discipline, perseverance, and focus. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it quite well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, an, we have have an earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we're running a race, and we're all in different stages of this race, but we all have the same goal, an imperishable wreath, as Paul put it, eternity. That's the summit. Are you still climbing? Now, I feel like I need to make a necessary side note here. I'm not talking about earning your salvation as far as climbing and running this mountain. That was when you joined the race. Before that, you were running aimlessly. You were beating the air as though you were fighting something that wasn't even there. You had no purpose worth working toward. But now that you've joined the race, it's time to run well. God gives us a lot of challenges in his word. Some are easier than others. For most of us, do not murder isn't too hard. But I'm, I'm sure I test my wife daily, on a daily basis on that one. What about do not lie? Or things like that. I want to give you a challenge today. Actually, Jesus gave us that challenge a long time ago. But I'm going to challenge you with it as well. I almost showed you a video from Sunday Cool. And some of you know Sunday Cool. They just put out a video that walks through the Ten Commandments in a very humorous way. But... The challenge that I want to give you is this. What if we took Jesus a little more seriously when he told us to cut sinful things out of our lives? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Oh, but Jesus was just exaggerating, right? Probably. But he wasn't kidding when he said to take serious action to get rid of it. It's just baggage to carry on an already challenging journey. In that video, one of the, you know, number seven, plea from sexual immorality, um, the, the interchange that goes back and forth is, does that mean we skip away from sexual immorality? <laughs> no. Does that mean we hop away from sexual immorality? We casually stroll away from sexual immorality? We flee from it. So here's the challenge, and I'll leave you with this. I wanted to have like two or three challenges, but I think that sometimes we try to do too much at the same time. And I know that there's something that all of us, myself included, have in mind when there's just like, there's something that I've just kind of swept under the rug, something that I just have not paid a whole lot of attention to, and 
I need to cut it out of my life. And I've just not done it. And it's just baggage that I'm carrying on a journey that's already hard. It's already challenging. Find yourself some accountability for it and get rid of it. Here's the challenge. What is the thing in your life that you've ignored taking action against? Simply, that's all it is. Nothing out of... Uh, nothing that you've not heard lots and lots of times, but what is it you've comp- where is it that you've compromised? You've taken your eyes off the goal just a little bit. Figure out what it is. Cut it out of your life. You don't need it. Drop the baggage. The 50-pound pack that you're carrying up the mountain is heavy enough as it is. Cut it out. Take serious action against what we kind of think are the little sins that we can just sweep under the rug. Find some accountability and do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this group of people that you have put in our lives to run a challenging yet well worth race with you and with each other. Help us to drop the things that we don't need and see life with you not as a trial that we just get through. This list of things that I have to do, but a challenge to walk boldly with you and with those that you have called your sons. Help us to run well with endurance so that we can get to the end of the race and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We've run the race well. Help us to do that. Give us wisdom and understanding on how to do that. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today started out great. Jane and I got up early than normal on a Saturday morning. We started out for Wichita. Kira wanted us to come and visit her. I think mostly she wanted us to come and buy her groceries, which is fine. We, we don't have a problem doing that. So we, we jump in the car. We've got, we, we had a plan. There was a flea market going on over on the west side. We thought, that sounds like fun, so we'll put that in the plan. We get, get on the road, and I said, you know, we're going to have to stop and get gas eventually because we're not going to make it all the way to Wichita before it's fill up. Drives my mother-in-law crazy. I love to set that thing that says you, have, you can go 70 miles, and then it starts can- uh, counting down until it says low fuel. And then you, you see, because it goes blank, and it doesn't tell you how far you get to go yet, because it just goes blank, and it starts that at about 30 miles. Well, I had 18 miles to go to get to the outskirts of Wichita. The thing goes blank, tells me, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I got this. I got this. There's a quick trip that usually has cheaper gas on the, on the, on, on the east side of Wichita. And I thought, if I can make it there, we'll fill up, we'll, we'll be good. Going down the road, we get to, to Augusta. Things look great. We get to Andover. Things are looking Okay. And we're about three miles from that gas station. And the charging system indicator light comes on on her car. 
the little battery one that you never see comes on. And I thought, I've never seen that happen with just because we were low on gas. Well, you know, maybe it's just the car's gone almost 200,000 miles. But, so, but it still runs. So we stop, fill up with gas, turn the car back on, the light's out. I'm like, great, no problem. We, we got this made. So we go on down the road, and we're headed towards the west side of Wichita, and we're almost to Eisenhower Drive, which is right there by the airport. And all of a sudden, the little temperature indicator light pops up over the battery indicator light, which had come back on. Okay, I don't like the combination of these two lights. It's just not a good thing. So we pull off the road, pull in, find a parking lot, pull in, and of course the antifreeze and stuff's coming out of the car, but it's still running in that. Long story short, er, we end up with a rental. Kira's mad because she, we had said something about maybe having her drive us back home, and then her drive back to Wichita, and then we would just come get Jane's car on Tuesday or Wednesday, and it just seemed silly to make Kira drive six hours to take us home, so, um, but then we, so we, we had to spend some money, and she wasn't real thrilled that mom and dad had to spend money just to come see her. We're going to spend money on you anyway. Um, <laughs> but that became our trial for the day, and, and for me, it's a real trial sometimes not to get frustrated and angry when those things happen. So I really have to focus on, okay, what are the steps that I need to take to get through this? And Jane's learned this over time. She just kind of steps to the side, and she hands me her phone with the phone numbers in it, and says, here, make these phone calls, and she just lets me take care of it. But that's because that's what God wanted me to do. I could have followed the unbiblical part of that, and beat the air senseless, which I really thought about. Um, I could have just fled the car completely, which that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I take a tr- you take a trial and you turn it into a challenge sometimes. How do I get through this? What's God want to show me in that moment or in that time? And so as, when I got home... I. Didn't know I was going to do this until about 10 o'clock when I finally looked at my phone after we got home last night, and Matthew asked me if I would do meditation, and I thought, what can I do? But I get to thinking about those trials and, and challenges in our life. Dylan Thomas, in, in, the, in the 50s, said, do not go gently into that good night. Don't give up. Struggle against it. Struggle against the trials. Push through the challenges. Robert Frost in 1922, said, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. You, you don't get to give up. You, you, have to keep, you have to keep moving forward. But Jesus made it simple for us, didn't he? He said, come to me, all who are la- labor, excuse me, I'll try that again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and, love and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we turn it over to him, he'll help us through that. He'll lift it up and make it so that we can carry it, so that we can get through those challenges. 
in Philippians, and I'm going long, so I'm not going to read through it, but Philippians 2, 12 through 18, Paul gives us that challenge to continue on. He says, even if I have to be poured out to do this, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. When Jesus was coming close to the end of his time here, at the final supper where he was with his beloved disciples, his best friends in the world, he asked them to do two things. He asked them to take the bread, which was his body. Take this bread. This is my life. This is your new physical, earthly life. But it's going to be broken. Take this bread. Eat of it. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he said, Drink. This is my blood which is poured out for your salvation. It's not about what's now, it's about what's coming. It's about the end of the challenge. It's that goal that we push toward. It's what we see at the end. It's the, we don't have to ask why, we just ask, how do we get there? And he has already told us that. He said, take on my yoke, and we can get there. As we come to this table this morning, you know, Matthew has given us a challenge from God's word. He says, what do you need to do to reach your goal? What does God want you to do to reach your goal? He didn't say do it yourself. Ask God. Ask him. Take on his body, his blood, and he'll help you reach that goal. As we come to this table this morning, we need to remember that that's a sacrifice and that wonderful, beautiful sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son. The words seem hollow and empty when we say them sometimes, but Lord, look in our hearts and know what we truly feel. Lord, we thank you for the challenges that you set before us, and we thank you for the trials that you put us through. Lord, we thank you that you will help us through both, whether it's a trial or a challenge. Lord, we know the end. We can see it. We know that it ends with you in heaven celebrating. Lord, we just ask that you would help us see the joy and enjoy the time, enjoy the race, enjoy the challenge, and see what you will do with our lives. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.